My name is Justin Jordan. I'm the lead pastor here at Real Life, and so glad that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. We are in week two of our sermon series, SCMD. And you might be saying, well, what does that even mean? What does that mean? What does that entail? SCMD is just an acronym that we have used to describe the values of our church, what drives our church forward. And last week we talked about S, which is we are called to be a people that will share Christ with the lost world. And we talked specifically about what does it mean to be a people that will do whatever it takes to bring people to Jesus. And we looked at the story of uh, Jesus's uh, followers, a group of men that tore off a roof and lowered their paralytic friend down into a living room so that Jesus could heal them. Um, and we asked the question, like, are we those types of people? This week we're talking about connecting into real relationships. And um, we believe that we as God's people are not meant to live life alone. We're meant to connect into real relationship. And we've defined real relationship here at Real Life Ministries with a couple things. This is going to be really important. I'm going to be talking about this through the rest of the, the sermon today is real relationship is built upon truth and trust. Everybody say truth and trust. Truth and trust. And the way that we get truth and trust is through vulnerability and transparency. And those are words that are becoming more and more popular in our culture. Um, but oftentimes, uh, we're not really fully understanding what that means according to what maybe Scripture talks about in regards to vulnerability and transparency. But this is what I do know a little bit about me is that I have grown to love photo booths. Do you know what I'm talking about? I've grown to love photo booths. And, and here's the reason why. It's partially because it, it sends me back to my childhood when I watched the greatest, one of the greatest movies of all time, Karate Kid, you know, when they're at the, you know, date night and they're doing the photo booth thing. And so one of the things that we do um, here on Mother's Day is we have a photo booth for families to come together and take photos with their mom. Uh, there was another event that I was a part of this spring where I got to do the photo booth with my wife, my sister-in-law, and actually my brother-in-law, who's actually my best friend going through Bible college, and he decided to marry my wife's sister, and I decided to marry my wife, not because my best friend married my wife's sister, but because I actually love my wife, but it was kind of a cool deal, right? You know, hang out with the in-laws. I can hang out with my best friend, too, not just with the in-laws. Anyway, um, so we got to do the whole photo booth thing this last spring, and this was the first picture of our photo booth, right? Nice picture, and what you need to know about me is like, I'm not necessarily like a fun guy. Like I tend to be too, too serious at times. And I've got the Jordan scowl. This is the Jordan scowl. People are like, are you angry? And I'm like, no, I'm not angry. I'm just intense. I'm thinking, but I've learned to have fun and photo booths help me have fun. And so then in this moment where you actually get to have fun, it's actually a pretty vulnerable moment. Because you're in this photo booth moment, you actually have like evidence of being able to make fun of yourself or friends or family in the future. You know what I'm talking about? So here's the next photo, which is just awesome, especially with my best friend. What is that face that he is doing right there? Like, it's, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. And then of course, the next photo where we are dying laughing because we actually get to see the ridiculousness of that picture. How many of you guys love photo booths, right? How many of you hate photo booths? Raise your hand, okay? And here's the reason why, is because in this moment where you have the opportunity to actually be fun and goofy, it's actually a really vulnerable moment, isn't it? It's like, oh wait, what's going to happen right now? And how are people gonna make fun of me potentially in the future? And just so you know, I make fun of my best friend all the time because of that photo. Like it haunts him. And he loves it, not really. But it's fun, right? It's fun to a certain extent. 
What is the difference between transparency and vulnerability? Have you ever thought about that? What's the difference between transparency and vulnerability? Why don't you just think about that for a second? I work with pastors in different parts of the United States. And what you don't maybe realize is that it's not just pastors that struggle with transparency and vulnerability. Lots of people do. But one of the things we talk about in our coaching is the difference between transparency and vulnerability and learning how to live a life of transparency and vulnerability. I just want you to listen to this working definition of transparency. By definition, it means the ability to see through something. Everybody say, see through. When someone is being transparent with you, they're letting you see into their lives. They'll let you know what's going on and even inform you about how they've been feeling. But while people who are transparent will share openly, they do so in a self-conscious, controlled way. In other words, they're presenting a processed, polished version of themselves. That makes sense this morning. Now listen to vulnerability. Vulnerability is something different. When someone is being vulnerable, they're making themselves susceptible to the judgment of others. Vulnerability means that they don't just let you know what's going on in their lives. They let you actually see how everything is affecting them. This involves them letting their guard down and relinquishing control. In other words, they're presenting an unprocessed, unpolished version of themselves. Which means that they're actually susceptible to actually getting hurt. Some of you might be saying, what does this got to do with the Bible? Well, today we're going to look at a story where Jesus models for us transparency and vulnerability. Jesus has just had um, probably one of the most intimate meals with his disciples. And as he's having this most intimate meal with his disciples, he's starting to let them know that he's about ready to go to the cross. And his disciples are really worried about that. They don't understand what he's saying. Jesus is talking about dying. Um, and, and they're, I would say, it's not too far to say that they're actually scared. <laughs> what is Jesus talking about? What is he doing? And he takes his disciples and he goes to the area of the Garden of Gethsemane. Everybody say the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he goes to the garden, we enter into the scene of what's going on. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. What is this cup? He knows that he has got to go to the cross to die for the sins of the world. And not only die, like we talked about last week, not only die, but be whipped and flogged and beaten to the point of death. And he's going to do this in reconciling the world back to him. And so he's asking the father, if there is another way, let it be. But then he says this, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. 
The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. And so he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. And then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered in the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And if you know the rest of the story, this is what sets off a night of, of extreme darkness with Jesus as one of his disciples betrays him into the hand of the Sanhedrin. They put him on trial. They whip him, beat him, put him on a cross. And the next morning he's killed. What do you need to know? I think we see from Matthew chapter 26 that Jesus lived a life of great vulnerability with his closest friends. And if you didn't catch it, I just want to read these words over you once more. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus. Listen to what he's saying from his heart. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. And couldn't you men keep watch with me for just one hour? Do you hear Jesus' words? Do you hear the vulnerability from which he speaks? From which he says to his, his closest friends. And this is what I want, you need to, I want you to understand this morning. Is sometimes we look at this relationship between Jesus and his disciples. He was a great teacher. What was one of the titles that they gave him that he was a great teacher, that he was their what? What do we use? The rabbi, right? And we have this mindset of like this teacher-student relationship. And it automatically, sometimes in our minds and in our hearts, that teacher-student relationship, we automatically think of, in our Western world, a classroom, right? But the thing of it is that we have to understand is that Jesus, yes, he was a rabbi and he was a teacher, but he also said in John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you, remember what he says? I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You see, it wasn't just a teacher-student relationship. It was a deep relational connection that he had with his disciples. That these were his closest friends. And Jesus shows great vulnerability with his closest friends. And yet, do you see what his closest friends? Not only the 12, but do you remember what it says in the beginning of the story? He pulled apart the 12, and who did he draw closest to him during his greatest time of need? Who were those Peter? Who were those people? Peter, James, John. And in great vulnerability, Jesus says, I need you i need you if you were to summarize matthew chapter 26 36 through 41 this is what jesus is saying i'm not okay i'm not okay i'm full of sorrow to the point of death i'm not okay 
And what Jesus models for us in this moment, that if, if Jesus lived a life of vulnerability with his closest friends, here's my challenge to you. I, I believe that you're called to live a life of vulnerability with your closest friends. This is what we're called to be as followers of Jesus, living a life of transparency and vulnerability. And the reality of it is this is why the church exists. This is why you exist, is that we are called to live in real relationship with one another. And we see this all throughout the scripture. If you've been a part of the church any amount of time, you've probably already heard these passages, but the greatest tragedy, the first greatest tragedy that we see in the scriptures, oftentimes people want to quote Genesis and they say the greatest tragedy is when Adam and Eve, what? Sin. But do you realize that there was a tragedy even before that? That God, as he looked at his creation, even before sin entered into the world, God looked at his creation and he said, Adam is alone. And he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he made a helpmate with, uh, with Adam, Adam and Eve together. We're made for a relationship. If you go look at all of the Ten Commandments, I would argue that the first two are a declaration of loving God and the rest of the Ten Commandments are all about loving your neighbor. Jesus said all the law and the prophets can be summed up by loving God and loving others. Jesus said and Paul said through Jesus that when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of those qualities, they are relational. Every single one of us is made for real relationship. The church is made for us to live out this transparency and this vulnerability, a, a willingness to say, God, I need you, but I also need my brother and my sister in the midst of the battle. I need to connect into real relationship. And so my question for you this morning is, are you living that life? Are you living that life? Where you actually are living real relationship, that you are letting people into your life because here's the thing, there will come a moment in your life when you can't do what God's calling you to do. You can't do life unless you have someone that you're doing real relationship. There will come a day when you can't figure out life. There's gonna come a day when you can't figure out life. Any of you guys been there before? I have. And who are the people in your life and I'm going to take it a step further. Who are, the, who are the godly people in your life? They're going to help you navigate life. I'm not talking about buddies. We've all got buddies, don't we? I'm not talking about buddies. I'm talking about people that are going to help you navigate life when life is hard. Godly friends. There will come a day when you can't make it on your own. I, I like to put it like this. Um, one of these days, I would like to retire. Wouldn't everybody like to retire one of these days? When do you need to start preparing for retirement? Sooner rather than later, right? What if I start preparing for retirement when retirement is due? Will that go well? Won't go well. Same is true with relationships. There will come a moment when you can't figure out life. And if you're like, well, I need to, I need to find some deep, real relationships, godly relationships, people that are gonna help me navigate truth and trust in my life. And if you wait until that moment, it usually doesn't go well. 
But if you start investing now, there's going to come a moment when life hits you and you've got to look around and you've got to go, who are the people in my life that are going to help me navigate my darkest moments? I'm not talking about buddies. I'm about Christian brothers and sisters. That when you can say, I'm not okay, I'm not okay, they show up for you. They show up for you. Another question for you to ask yourself this morning, when was the last time you had a significant, personal, spiritual conversation with somebody else? When was the last time you had a significant, personal, spiritual conversation with someone else? This is what I do know, is that in our time of darkest need, the church is called to be a people that rise up for the occasion when it comes to real relationship. When someone's in their darkest place, this is for us as the church when we rise up. This is the moment where we mobilize. This is the moment where we say, I'm here for you. I'm gonna walk beside you in your deepest, darkest moments. And here's the thing. Sometimes we as the church, we fail in these moments. We fail in these moments. The disciples did. Jesus is vulnerable. I am full of sorrow. Will you pray with me? And the disciples didn't come and rise up to the occasion. But even though Jesus' disciples didn't rise to the occasion, you can rise to the occasion in someone's darkest time. You can rise up to the occasion in someone's darkest time. What's my encouragement to you this morning? My encouragement to you is, is to learn how to do this by getting connected to a group. Now you're saying, well, what is getting connected to a group? Why is that even tied to transparency and vulnerability in real relationship? Because here's the thing. Getting connected to a small group is actually the place where we begin to practice transparency and vulnerability. It's where we actually learn how to walk into an environment and say, I'm gonna trust that this place is safe and that I can talk about what's going on in my life. And for all of us in our different walks, that means different things for different um, aspects of our lives. But getting connected in those small groups where we actually begin to try this out. It's where we actually learn how to do real relationship. It's where we learn how to live in truth and trust with one another. It's where we got the opportunity to say, guys, I'm not okay. And if you think about it, that's what Jesus did. Jesus pulled his small group together and said, I'm not okay. I need you to pray with me. It's where we learn to take the concept and we actually begin to see it come to fruition. We actually get to see it become reality. It's when we learn to sit with people in their darkest moments and we don't fix them. I want you to think about that for a second. Because even though disciples completely blew it and they fell asleep, one of the things that they didn't do is they didn't fix Jesus. Did you notice that? Jesus said, I'm full of sorrow to the point of death. You don't see the disciples then quoting scripture back to Jesus. And sometimes in our darkest moment, the last thing we need is scripture quoted back at us. You ever experienced that before in the church? Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it doesn't help. Instead, Jesus says, will you just sit with me and pray? Sometimes we just need to learn to sit and pray. And that's hard because it doesn't get rid of the messiness right away, does it? It doesn't fix the situation. But sometimes just sitting with people is actually what brings healing to people. Just like Jesus asked, would you sit with me and pray? In these small groups is where we learn to do that. It's where we're learned, we learn to live out transparency and vulnerability. Here's what I do know is that for some of you this morning, you're here 
in this idea of transparency and vulnerability, maybe Jesus is calling you to do something maybe you've never done before. One of the things that I get excited about in my men's group on Wednesday morning at 6 a.m., even though it's 6 a.m., and it's really early, and I don't know if you notice it's getting darker and darker and darker every single day and every single morning. So it's harder and harder to get out of bed early. But one of the things that I love coming on Wednesday morning at 6 a.m., we talked about it this, this week in my men's group, is guys, men, are learning how to be transparent and vulnerable. Men are learning to have a band of brothers around them to navigate life. They're learning how to navigate real relationship in the midst of difficulty. And what ends up happening is when you live in that environment, you begin to live in transparency and vulnerability in other ways. And you start doing things that you never thought God would do. And God starts opening up doors in regards to calling people to faith that they never thought imaginable. But God begins to open up doors in amazing ways. And I just want to share one story with you in regards to a family that's been attending our church and how they moved into a place of vulnerability and trusted faith. And God is doing miracles in their life now. See, Jeremy and Leah, you don't know, have been attending our church. And Jeremy shared a story with us about three weeks ago, he said, I need prayer because I have not seen my sister-in-law, my wife's sister, and her family in 14 years. We had family fallout, and we chose to disconnect in relationship. And for 14 years, we've not seen them, but we have found wind, word, that our niece, who we have not seen since she was a little, tiny little girl, is coming to Boise and potentially attending Boise State. And we've decided it's time to reconcile back into relationship. And so we're going to reach out and potentially connect. Well, as time went on, sure enough, last Saturday, they were actually able to reconcile and reunite and ask for forgiveness and to connect in a real relationship. Do you want to talk about vulnerability? Were they susceptible to, to being hurt in the midst of this process? 100%. And on Wednesday morning... Jeremy got to share about how they got to spend the day together and how they ended the day on top of Table Rock. And I want you to take a look at this picture. This is them together, connecting. And they're gonna be with their niece as she walks into Boise State and goes to school. And we've got families that are coming together. Extreme vulnerability. But they're willing to do it. Why? because they understand real relationship. They understand forgiveness. They understand that they're called to reconcile. So my question for you this morning is, who are those people in your life that are helping you lean into the things that Jesus has called you to, to lean into? And for Jeremy, now that he's in our men's group, it's not like, oh, yay, and move on. No, how's that going, man? How's that going? How's your niece doing? How's your sister-in-law? And through the highs and through the lows of however that goes, we will always walk beside Jeremy. So that when he comes in and says, I'm not okay, say, it's okay, we're here with you. This is what we're called to as the church. And I dream of a day for us as the church where we continually sit with people in their darkest moments. Then when people come in through these doors and they come in with heavy shoulders, 
that we would look outside of ourselves and we go, how is this person doing? And I'm going to ask them, how are they really doing? And we would sit with them as they cry and they mourn with whatever life is bringing them. We as the church would rise up and say, I'm going to move into this place of vulnerability with them. I'm going to sit with them. And I'm going to pray with them. I dream of a church where we sit with people for as long as we need to sit with them, you guys. We sit with them for as long as we need to. And we walk alongside them. And if we just got to pray, we pray. And we help them heal. What would it look like for us to lean into transparency and vulnerability like Jesus did? As we wrap up today, I just want you to think about a couple of things for take home. If Jesus lived a life of vulnerability with his closest friends, you too must live a life of vulnerability with your closest friends. And who are those people? And if you don't have them, it's time to get connected. I'm talking about people that give you good, godly wisdom or just sit with you until you're ready to have good, godly wisdom. Who are those people? Jesus' disciples didn't rise to the occasion, but you can rise to the occasion in someone's darkest time. Who is someone? that Jesus is calling on you to walk beside and to connect with. And lastly, small group is where we learn to live this out. It's where we learn to try it on. And sometimes we'll fail. Sometimes we'll make mistakes. But by God's grace, we grow and connect in real relationship. As we get ready to go to the Lord's table this morning, Every week here at Real Life Ministries, we take communion. And if you came this morning and maybe you're new, you didn't realize that you needed to grab communion as you came in, that's okay because we've got some awesome volunteers who are gonna come forward here. And if you just wanna take communion, just raise your hand and they'll be sure to pass the elements to you. Just keep your hand raised. But we take communion every, every week here at Real Life Ministries. And we do this because it reminds us of the death, burial, and resurrection. It reminds us of the mission that Jesus has called us to. And it also reminds us that we're called to love him and we're called to love each other. And there's lots of different ways to do that. But this is what I want you to pray for this week in regards to communion. A couple things as we get ready. Pray for the courage to get connected to a group where you can experience real relationship. Who is the person the Lord wants you to sit with and come alongside in the current time of need? There's people that are hurting right now. Would you pray for them? Would you reach out to them? Would you ask them how they're doing? Pray for the person that the Lord leads you to invite in your small group. There are people that are wounded and they need people to rally and mobilize to them. Would you pray about what it would look like to invite them into your home group to get connected? Just spend some time with the Lord this morning with Jesus as we get ready to have a meal with him. Let's pray.